advantage of the day. Right. When you get an opportunity in this game, you make a play. Yeah. The playmakers on three. One, two, three. Touchdown, Kansas City. The Chiefs are right in the thick of it, baby. Welcome to this edition of Defending the Kingdom. Mitch Holtis with you, voice of the Chiefs, along with Chiefs reporter Matt McMullen. We know him as Matt Staff, or Staff Matt, or however you want to put that. Anyway, that right. Uh, <laughs> by the way, Defending the Kingdom is brought to you by 360 Vodka, the official vodka of the Chiefs Kingdom and the hometown vodka of Kansas City. So 360 Vodka. We want to have a little history uh, here again as well as in the present because it's the biggest game in the National Football League this week. It's the Dallas Cowboys against the Kansas City Chiefs, but it's also the Preston Road Trophy. Now, Matt, we know the Lombardi Trophy goes to the Super Bowl champion. We, yep. have, one, we have two of those. Uh, we know that the Lamar Hunt Trophy goes to the winner of the AFC, and the George Hallis Trophy goes to the winner of the NFC. But this week, the prestigious Preston Road Trophy is up for grabs. Yeah, it's pretty cool, isn't it? it so is we just cool. had media with Coach Reed, and he was asked about it, and he kind of put it out there. It's like, how many NFL teams share a trophy like this? It's not very often. Like, it's like it's, Big Ten football. Yeah, yeah, well, every, yeah, that's what he said. It's like a college thing. And yeah. we always talk about how like the tailgating atmosphere and like the culture here in Kansas City is like a college kind of atmosphere for the Chiefs, and that just kind of adds to it that we have this – kind of strange weird rivalry with the Cowboys I mean they're not the Raiders they're not the Broncos but we still kind of have this rivalry with them where we barely ever play and we'll get into the history of it but if it wasn't for the Chiefs the Cowboys wouldn't exist and these two teams competed in Dallas for uh, a short amount of time uh, and the Chiefs eventually moved back here but it's great history about how the NFL and the AFL uh, merged together over time and how the AFL competed with the NFL. Uh, it's awesome stuff. And to see it still happening decades later with this history and this trophy, is a, it's a cool thing to see. First of all, I will tell you that if you're watching and listening, the uh, this is the 2012 book on the life of Lamar Hunt by Michael McCambridge. It's a must read if you haven't. I know it's been in print now for 10 years, but it's worth whatever you can find it on Amazon or Barnes and Noble and order it and get it because it is a must read, especially if you're a red-blooded card-carrying member of the Chiefs' kingdom. Now, before we dive into why this game is so important from a historical standpoint, let's talk about, because in the stands, you and I were doing field pass, and somebody yelled from the stands, hey, I listen to Defending the Kingdom every week, and I live in Idaho. <laughs> so whoever you were, you're listening and watching now, perhaps, but yeah, way to go, because we had a bunch of fans there. A lot. But every week, and we even from the Dallas Metroplex, yep. we've had listeners uh, and avid defending the king followers so i have one from the metroplex i think waco is part of the metroplex right yeah, kind of kind of it's be a, yeah it's a little ways away but we'll just annex it we'll just yeah. make the rules well, but I, I feel go like, for it i feel like the metroplex extends like hundreds of miles yeah but so it does yeah. so waco someone a fan in waco um <laughs> texas watches defending the kingdom so hello uh, to you in waco also a, yeah also a fan in savannah georgia and then uh three international ones here this time gail in oxford uk Listening Perfect. to DTK, then a fan in Malaysia and a fan in Romania. <laughs> All over. Every single time we're surprised. Every single time I look, there's a country there that I'm like, wow, who knew? I'm telling you, Eastern Europe, I didn't know defending the kingdom was so big in Eastern Europe. I know. It's so awesome. So We got to go. We're going. We're coming. Folks, we're coming. Uzbekistan, Turkmenistan, Moldova. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so we're coming, and it was Romania, right? We're, yeah, we're, Romania. We're coming. We're, we're coming. We'll be there uh, with Defending the Kingdom. Now, this book by McCambridge uh, and the part that deals with this game this week is fascinating 
because you can argue that the Dallas Cowboys would not have been in existence had it not been for the Dallas Texans because Lamar Hunt decides after not getting the Chicago Cardinals, he's shut out by the NFL owners. He's like, well, I'll start my own league then. And he had to figure out where he's going to put these teams in his hometown of Dallas, Texas. He starts the Dallas Texans. Well, the NFL is not enthralled with him starting a new league, Lamar Hunt. So what do they do? They put expand- First of all, they steal the Minnesota franchise. They were set to have an AFL franchise. Whoops. Nope, they're going to put the Vikings in there. And they're going to take the Dallas Cowboys and put it right on top of Lamar to put him out of business. And that's where the story of this week really starts because it's a captivating story. Uh, and now we're into a seventh decade, but it's so – it's, it's still pertinent to this day. Yeah, and I think it says a lot about the resiliency of Lamar Hunt and the resiliency of the AFL because how many uh, startup leagues have we seen over the years that when the NFL challenges them, they get destroyed, basically. They just have no shot at all. And the fact that uh, the Texans were able to compete at all with the Cowboys is very impressive uh, because you think about the Cowboys now, it's like America's team, right? Like they're this big thing, but they didn't exist, and they were created solely to compete with the Dallas Texans. Now, I'm glad they were created because that meant that the Texans then had to move, and here we are with the Chiefs. But uh, amazing history, once again, about how the Chiefs landed here in Kansas City, and again, the resiliency of Lamar Hunt and the AFL to power through that because the NFL thought they were going to squash the AFL. And then over the years, they realized these guys are, are equal and we have to merge with them. And it's what created the NFL as we know it today. The Texans had won the 1962 AFL championship in the famous kick to the clock overtime victory over then the Houston Oilers. But the Texans were averaging about 10,000, just under 11,000 fans a game. The NFL expansion Cowboys, who went winless in their first year, were averaging about 9,000 a game. So the Texans were out drawing the Cowboys, but they were both getting powdered financially. Yeah. Some, and, and I'm just going to read it from the book. It's story time here <laughs> on Defending the Kingdom. And this is from Michael McCambridge's book, Lamar Hunt, A Life in Sports. If you don't have it, get it. This it should be required reading for you. Uh, but this was from uh, Gary Cartwright, who wrote for the Dallas Morning News. And he said, the uh, Texans are on their way out of town. The time has come. Someone had to go. It is, uh, it's sad, but it would have been a lot sadder if this insane war had continued. That's the quote from the book, and it sums up everything. He called it an insane war. And even though they were civil, it was war. And it was war to get the fans. It was war to get the revenue. It was war to get the stadium. Uh, The Texans and Lamar had to pay a king's ransom to play in the Cotton Bowl, and it was time to move. And then where were they going to move? Well, the book uh, has it chronicled very well. It was going to be New Orleans. They were headed to New Orleans, maybe Atlanta, because remember, uh, and this is a map that if you come to the Hall of Honor here in Kansas City, you will see the map prior to Lamar Hunt's influence in professional football and then after it. There was no team really outside of the upper Midwest. Like the furthest south team was Washington, D.C., and the Chicago Cardinals. There were two teams in Chicago, and then there's two teams way out on the west. It was the 49ers and the Rams who were really not part of the original NFL. They were part of the American League that was the Otto Graham League uh, in the late 40s. So now all of a sudden it's going to be New Orleans, and the book lays it out that Lamar gets talked out of going to New Orleans, and H. Rowe Bartle, the chief, 
was able to get Lamar Hunt to bring the Texans into Kansas City. It's crazy just to think about, isn't it? I mean, all these things that happened uh, way back in the early 60s have defined how we live our lives nowadays. What would you and I be doing right now if the Chiefs weren't in Kansas City? I truly don't know. Well, <laughs> probably going to a bake sale of some sort yeah. or, you know, an art show, which is great. Which is great. Nothing against bake sales or art shows, but this is the Chiefs, man. Yeah. It's our career. Yeah, well, and also – I always feel this way about professional sports teams, particularly like the NFL. It legitimizes a city, right? And Kansas City finds its pride in everything that uh, makes us Kansas Cityans gets back to the Chiefs at some point or another. And we saw that uh, during the Super Bowl runs. We're seeing that when the team has been so good over the last decade or so. And without the Chiefs, it's just a different feel. You know, it's just different. Like the team brings people together uh, and it's something to be proud of. And to think that H.R. Bartle brought the team here all those years ago, convinced Lamar Hunt uh, to come to Kansas City, and that Lamar was like, you know what? I see potential in this place. It's just a fun, cool story to think about. I think it's also worth mentioning that uh, we the NFL is so big today, but we forget that back then college football was king. I mean, the NFL wasn't that big of a deal. I'd argue baseball was a way bigger deal at the time way bigger, than way the bigger NFL the was. Yep. Yeah, and uh, for two teams to be com- competing in Dallas at the same time, when it's not that big a deal, professional football is not what it is today. Uh, just real tough. You mentioned the attendance numbers. Like, it just wasn't very popular. But the thing about Lamar Hunt is he had the vision to see, hey, maybe we're only drawing 10,000 fans right now, but I believe in this. And he was right. And it was Kansas City, which at the time was a fledgling city trying to define itself as kind of the capital city of the the heart of the Midwest, the, plains, the heart of the yeah. nation, the Plains. And that's what the Chiefs, the Chiefs kingdom, there's a primary and secondary area. And I should say secondary because we kind of chuckle about the worldwide influence of the Chiefs kingdom, but we don't chuckle. It's serious. And watch what's going to happen in the next five to seven years. It's going to grow globally. But when the Chiefs came to Kansas City, it became the region's team. And Kansas City's always been a regional city. So someone who grew up in four and a half hours away from GEHA Field at Arrowhead Stadium and Municipal Stadium in my childhood, um, it was still Kansas City. It was a big deal. Even though we were on a farm on the Kansas-Nebraska border, we felt a part of it, just like all of the Chiefs Kingdom feels a part of it now. Yeah. I mean, I get these tweets uh, every week while I'm on the air, and they're these, it's farmers, it's people working the second shift or third shift. They're from all over the place, and now we see from all over the world. But it reshaped and redefined Kansas City when Lamar Hunt brought the Texans here to become the Chiefs. They had the Kansas City A's, but they were woeful. And Charlie Finley now had bought the team from Arnold Johnson, and he couldn't wait to get them out of town. And they never had a winning season. They weren't even close to having a winning season, and that was from 1955 to 1967. If the Chiefs were going to lose the A's and did not have – I'm sorry, if Kansas City was going to lose the A's and not have the Chiefs, they were going to be just a what, – what is Kansas City? So the Chiefs really – and McCambridge lays this out as well in his book uh, and the 69 Chiefs book he wrote that it was a redefining moment for the city and the entire region when Lamar Hunt brought the Dallas Texans to Kansas City. Yeah, and I totally agree with that. And once again, it's just a point of pride. When you're mentioning about how you became a Chiefs fan just living on a farm uh, out in Smith Center, <laughs> it reminded me – so my wife is from Colorado. I've converted her to a Chiefs fan. very proud of that. That's so uh, good. Well I, done. It's evangelism. you got to do it. Yes. But um, she went to the University of South Dakota uh, in Vermilion, South Dakota. A lot of Chiefs fans up there. It's kind of a battleground. We always talk about this. But her best friend is from a little teeny town, ironically enough, called Dallas, South Dakota, of like – a thousand people. But her dad is a gigantic Chiefs fan. 
I mean, they live like nine hours away from Kansas City, but he's a gigantic Chiefs fan. So when I met him, we just talked for hours and hours. And I just think it's so cool when you meet people that are not from Kansas City. I'm from Kansas City, so obviously I grew up a Chiefs fan. But people that grew up way far away from here, they grew up a Chiefs fan because what you're saying is true. The region, it defines the region. I mean, we're right here in the middle. And particularly when the Chiefs are good and exciting and they have players that you can relate to and that inspire you, it makes you want to be a fan. And that's a lifelong thing. And it's just so cool to see. And to get back to our original point here, it all started way back in the early 60s when the Chiefs came to town. And it's because uh, of that war they were having with the Cowboys. It's crazy. And it was war. And so if you kind of peek behind the curtain, you'll know this is a big game that means more than just one week in the NFL schedule, and it is the Preston Road Trophy, called the ugliest trophy in sports. It's less than 100 bucks. In typical Lamar Hunt fashion, he said, hey, when the Chiefs play the Cowboys, there's got to be a trophy for gotta this. Be. And he was living close, as you mentioned, to Jerry Jones on Preston Road, and so they decided to make this trophy. But it's gone uh, back and forth. But if you – every kind of tongue-in-cheek, ha, ha, ha. But it was war. And Dallas and the Cowboys – in a way, pushed uh, Lamar Hunt out of his hometown. This was big for him emotionally Yeah, to move that team uh, from Dallas to Kansas City. But look at the blessing it's become now generationally. Yeah. Uh, and with Clark Hunt being the chairman and CEO now, it's awesome. But when the Blue Stars come to town or the Chiefs go to Dallas, it only happens every four years. Who knows? It may happen sooner with the 17th game now uh, between a single NFC team, not just a team from another uh, one-hole division. You could get this game even with a little more frequency than normal. But that sets the stage now for this week's game, a big game because both teams have high expectations. Now, I'm going to share one story with you, Matt, which will set this up as well. Let's hear it. This is a couple years ago, and Clark Hunt had asked me to uh, fly to Dallas with Tammy, my wife, and to present uh, him for a special award he was getting from uh, the city of Dallas. And it was the Entrepreneur of the Year. Big deal. Yeah. Right? This is, this is the big D. And so I'm thinking, wow, what an honor. And I... I was going to present him, but I couldn't pass it up. I could not pass it up because this was right after the 2018 season, and Patrick Mahomes had become the NFL MVP. And I do love, because my son coached in Texas for a while in Belton, Texas, in football. I love Texas high school football. I love high school football anywhere, as you know, uh, in Kansas, Texas, Oklahoma, Iowa, Nebraska, wherever, Missouri. Uh, but I stood up in front of that crowd, and I just said, we're excited because we have a Texas high school quarterback <laughs> from White House, Texas, in the Tyler area, Patrick Mahomes. There was a smattering of cheers from the Texas Tech alums that were in the audience. Mostly it was just murmuring and her, her, her. You could just hear this, <laughs> but I couldn't pass it up. It was, you know, it was the Rob Riggle scene in, uh, uh, well, in Step Brothers where it's the Catalina wine mixer. Pow. Yeah, yeah. You know, and I just had my little moment there. It's like, we have the Texas high school quarterback. Now, Dak Prescott's really good. Yeah. But he's not a Texas high school quarterback. <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is. So I just took that moment and said, you know, symbol crash. Yeah. So that's, and that brings a little <laughs> bit of flavor to this game because those Dallas fans know that uh, Mahomes is a Texas legend. Yeah, it does. So I grew up a Missouri fan which is difficult at times. But Missouri would always get like a third of our roster from Texas. And you get all these guys that would come in. Chase Daniel. Chase Daniel. Uh, sure. From Texas. Lots of good players from Texas. And now at the Mitch pro level. Morris. Yeah, Mitch Morris. I mean, yeah. the list goes on and on and on. Yeah. And uh, to get Patrick Mahomes out of the state of Texas, don't want him playing for the Cowboys, bring him to Kansas City. And for him to be our guy, uh, we're pretty lucky. And uh, they were asking him earlier uh, in media if he grew up a Cowboys fan. And he's like, I mean, yeah, but uh, not this week. <laughs> <laughs> and Nick Bolton, Frisco, Texas, yep. your, your Missouri linebacker who leads 
by far. In fact, he's got 20 more tackles than Micah Parsons, the outstanding linebacker uh, for the Cowboys. But Nick from Frisco, Texas, and one of Mizzou's great players in recent years and blowing up right now in a good way for the Kansas City Chiefs defensively. All right, let's jump into the present then. That sets this tone for this game, but it tells you there's more going on here than just a single game uh, in the NFL week, although it's the biggest game uh, in week 11 of the National Football League. But this Dallas team, they sense it. They feel it. There's, they get a lot of attention. We understand that. But let's be well, I brought it up on Kingdom Conversations, and we discussed it in the Hy-Vee Chiefs Insider Show. It has been a generation now, 1995, since they've been in the NFC Championship game. They've had 10 playoff appearances since then, but they've not been in the NFC Championship game. Only two teams have had a drier run, if you will, the Washington football team in their division and the Detroit Lions. Now, it's crazy. When you bring that up, it's crazy. And gets, you wouldn't, it's one of those, really? Yeah. Okay. Now they sense it. Because they truly feel like they have the best team in the NFC. And you could argue that. Yeah, well, that's the thing with this Cowboys team. You mentioned all the attention that they get for years. This is no disrespect to the Cowboys, but they probably didn't deserve all that attention. I mean, they're going 8-8 eight and eight for years and years, right? Well, they, they, they do deserve that attention this year. Yeah. I mean, they're a good team on both sides of the ball. Right now, they have the top offense in all of football in terms of points per game. They're scoring 31 points per game this year, number four in passing and number four in rushing, so very balanced offensively, and the number 10 defense in all of football. And they have these playmakers everywhere on offense. They have their quarterback and Dak Prescott. He's healthy, looking really, really good this season. Good argue he's having the best season of his career so far. I mean, he, he, has a, he leads the NFL in passer rating and has the highest completion rate of his career. 20 touchdowns, just five interceptions. I mean, Dak's been playing great football all year long. He has weapons everywhere. Guys like C.D. Lamb, what a season for him so far. He leads this team in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. Amari Cooper, we know what he can do. Uh, and then Ezekiel Elliott, you forget about him almost, but he's having a, a really solid year as well and Tony Pollard in that backfield. Then look at the defense. They have guys like Trayvon Diggs, who has eight interceptions this season that leads the NFL. So they have playmakers everywhere. They kind of finally have this team that is worthy of all the attention that the Cowboys get year in and year out. And it sets the stage for this game. We knew going into the season it would be a big game. But particularly for the Chiefs coming off that Raiders win, which was awesome to kind of feel like we got our mojo back and play the kind of football on both sides, but we know that we can play at the same time, to now go into this Cowboys game feeling really, really good uh, and having a chance to knock off the Cowboys and go into the bye on a four-game winning streak, just a huge opportunity here for the Chiefs. Yeah, the Cowboys and Chiefs could be playing Frisbee golf, and it's going to be a big deal. <laughs> yeah. But it's really a big deal this week. The Cowboys offensively, let's jump back in there because we're excited, you and I both, about what the Chiefs have done defensively over the last three and a half games. But the Cowboys can do to opposing defenses what the Chiefs have done to opposing defenses under the tutelage of Andy Reid, both prior to Patrick Mahomes with Alex Smith and with, Patrick, uh, with Mahomes. And that is to attack a team defensively both vertically and horizontally. And when you do that, you become nearly impossible to defend. You mentioned the number that popped off the board and taking a deep dive into this Cowboy team this week was 70% completion rate for Dak Prescott. Then you see Michael Gallup come back to the receiving core. CeeDee Lamb, we know what he can do, and Amari Cooper's been legendary in what he's been able to do. Three 200-yard receiving games in his career. And then a good group of tight ends, the running backs. Tony Pollard's one of the most underrated backs in this league, in yeah. my opinion. 
But they can stretch you vertically and horizontally, meaning there's constant pressure on every snap when you play the Cowboys. So when you have this many playmakers as a defense, you have to figure out who are we going to slow down first? How do we slow down one part of this offense and that then derails the rest of it? And for me, this is kind of basic football, but particularly in this game, you got to stop the run first. And I know they have all these big receivers in Dallas, but you have to slow down Tony Pollard and Zeke Elliott. Uh, if you look at what the Cowboys have done this year, when they rush for 100 yards as a team, they're 6-0. and and when they don't, they are one and two. So that's one part of it. If you can slow down Zeke Elliott, you can slow down Tony Pollard and this rushing attack, you can start to slow down this Dallas offense. I mean, the, the Broncos did that with success a few weeks ago. Crazy game, right? The Broncos go into that game as a massive underdog, and they shut down the Cowboys for three quarters. The Cowboys didn't score until late in the fourth quarter. So it's doable. And I begin to start, I believe it starts with uh, slowing down that rushing attack. And the Chiefs have shown that they can do that recently. I mean, over the last four games, they've been really good against really good running backs. We saw it uh, against Josh Jacobs last week he had 16 rushing yards I mean insane and the, and the Raiders were in that game for a while it's not like they got down by a whole bunch and had to abandon the run he just wasn't very effective we saw it with Aaron Jones a few weeks ago uh, and Derrick Henry I know that game didn't go the way we we had hoped but Derrick Henry did not have a big game against the Chiefs and in the second half the Chiefs shut out the Titans so uh, we've seen this run defense look really good lately and we'll need it this week because I believe if you want to slow down this high-powered Cowboys offense it starts with slowing down the running game and we've said it week by week, you have to treat the runners, too, as receivers. Uh, an extended run game there. And the Chiefs were able to get Aaron Jones with zero yards. That's a minor miracle. Crazy. And then, two, uh, to do the same thing against both of those Raiders backs. But you have to do the same thing with Zeke uh, Elliott and also with Tony Pollard. They're both accomplished receivers out of the backfield. Um, and so uh, it's, there's a lot to deal with with this team. Now, strategically, here's one real interesting question. Now, Vic Fangio, after he put a blanket over this offense and pretty much shut him down, had him third down 30 to nothing, which was unreal. But he said, I figured him out. Like, I've, teams are defending the, the Cowboys the wrong way. Uh -huh. I figured out how to do it the right way. Now, what was interesting was he only blitzed 14% of the time against Dak Prescott. So he kind of played it the way – that the Chiefs have been played against with playing deep safeties, playing in zones, still try to play the run. You can't just give up the run. Obviously, you just mentioned that. But we also know the Chiefs are always in the top five in the league in the amount of blitzes that they send. It's what Spags does. But here is another crux in the, the, uh, uh, the crux of the matter, if you will, strategically. Do the Chiefs skew more to what the Broncos did, or do they just stay with what they do? It'll be interesting. I mean, what they've been doing has been working lately. And Steve Spagnuolo gets so creative with his blitzes. He brings guys from different angles, guys like Legereus Sneed. What a great blitzer he is as a DB. Uh, so I'm sure we'll see a lot of blitzing in this game. I don't know if we'll do it a ton, but when we do do it, you got to get home. You can't let Dak Prescott hit a guy in one-on-one -on -one coverage. The good news is when you're feeling confident in your cornerback play, like we are right now, you probably feel better about blitzing, right? Because what have guys like Legereus Need, Rashad Fenton, Traverius Ward done in man-on-man -man coverage lately? They've done really well. I mean, on good receivers. You saw what uh, Sneed did against Devontae Adams just a few weeks ago. I thought you put it great on our podcast where it doesn't matter that Jordan Love is at quarterback. If you have a jugs machine back there, a fade to Devontae Adams is tough to defend. And Legereus Need did a great job of it. They were good uh, against the Raiders last week. Do you know who the number two corner, according to PFF, is right now? It is Rashad Fenton. It's Rashad Fenton. And he stayed there. Like, it's not like, well, he had a good week, but he stayed there. Yeah. But you see him making plays. He had the DPI last week. Uh -huh. Okay, got it, got it, that's got fine, it. That's fine, yeah. I mean, that dude makes winning plays. <laughs> and the other thing that's taken for granted, because you mentioned the playing the run, 
the way the corners for the Chiefs are excellent tackles. Oh, yeah, Sneed last Sneed, week? <laughs> and Ward has been now for almost four seasons. So it's not an anomaly that Ward has always got one of the top tackle totals of any corner in the league. But Fenton's the same way. Andy talked about it on the Chiefs Kingdom show Monday night. He goes, you know, he doesn't look like, but he'll come after you. And the play he made against the Packers or the Giants, where he's chasing it down all the way across the field is a play you do not see DBs make. Yeah. That's a linebacker play. But that's the way Fenton hunts. Yeah. And uh, they're going to need it this week because this will be a game where tackling will be a premium with this Cowboys squad. Well, also about Fenton, how about punching the ball out from Deshaun Jackson? I mean, how hard must it be as a corner when a receiver has a huge play and you're right there. I mean, it would be really easy to get down on yourself, but you just keep playing, punch the ball out, and then Tyron Matthews right there to pick it up. It's your football. The big play doesn't matter anymore, and we're seeing that from these guys. And uh, I really just love the intensity and the fire and the passion that the Chiefs defense is playing with lately. I think Melvin Ingram has helped bring some of that edge that the guys are all – it's kind of contagious, right? Like they're all playing with that edge. Frank Clark, Chris Jones, all the guys. Jaron Reed got his first sack as a Chief last week. Derek Nottie got a sack. Just It's coming from everybody. Everyone on this defense just seems to be playing well right now. The linebackers as well. We talked about Nick Bolton and Willie Gay. So just very excited going into this game. The Chiefs defense does not get a lot of respect, and they didn't get a lot of respect for what they did against the Giants or the Packers. I think they're starting to get it back now, doing it against the Raiders, who are playing good football. But man, if they can go play good football against the Cowboys, and the Chiefs can lead this game with a victory, and you can say the defense was a big reason why, they're going to get that respect. It's a psychological thing, too. And I asked my broadcast partner, Dana Hughes, the former chief, about it. These these punch outs after long plays is something I'm seeing every week in the NFL with frequency. Yeah. Just like the play that Fenton, but you gotta look to make that play. So I asked him, is this more of a culture of like, hey, I've got forty yards, mom, look at me, and my buddies can win the fantasy league and I'll get an endorsement. Oh, what punched out, what what happened? Or is it the defense is being trained that way? The old Peanut Tillman thought, and he thinks it's a little bit of both. Uh, so it's a little bit cultural. But it's also a lot of thinking, this play's not done. Even though you've gained 50 yards, I'm going to get the football. That's one of the biggest plays of the year. But overall now, we're also seeing this Chiefs defense get the ball. They're starting to take it away. Part of being down so far in the giveaway takeaway, there's a lot of giveaways. We know that. Now there's 20. But we weren't taking the ball away at all. Now it's happening with frequency. It's starting to even out a bit. Even out. And, I mean, no one wants to hear that early in the year. But when we're watching it, we're like, this is not going to continue because it's not possible. I mean, this is just incredible bad luck over and over again. It wasn't like the Chiefs offensively were turning the ball over like egregious. It was balls bouncing off guys' chests or off fingers, things that plays they normally make, it just wasn't happening, or uncharacteristic fumbles. And then defensively, uh, the guys just weren't making the plays they typically make, right? But you just know over the course of a long season, we know what these players can do and what they've done in the past. It's going to even out, and we're starting to see that finally, uh, and the scoreboard is showing it as well. It's a beautiful thing, though, that it's happening all at the same time on both sides. And that's that was the unlucky part of the early part of the season is the defense wasn't forcing turnovers and the offense was turning it over uncharacteristically. Well, now both things are opposite and they're happening at the same time where the offense is not really turning the ball over much at all, uh, like we expected. And the defense is being opportunistic. They're punching the ball out after big plays. They're getting off the field on third down. They're getting sacks in big moments. They're doing the things that we talked about in training camp that we knew that they could do. And for it to happen at the same time at this point in the year, this is when you want to heat up. Right, I mean, it's the home stretch of the season after the bye, all these divisional games. You want to get hot right now. And, of course, we want to see them hot all year long, but if we're playing in uh, February, hopefully, we're not going to be talking about how they looked in week three, are we? So they're getting hot at the perfect time, and it's very exciting. 
And keep that thought because we're going to transition to the other matchup here as we close out this Defending the Kingdom podcast entitled the Preston Road Trophy. But let's just pull off the side of the road here for a second and realize that it's also a third phase. Special teams now every week is starting to do something with an impactful or explosive play. The fake punt last week by Tommy Townsend comes to mind. The muff punt in the Green Bay game. Townsend right now is the top-rated punter. Look at Pro Football Focus with that. He is the top-rated punter in this league, and he has become a weapon. You don't drop four inside the 15 against Green Bay to lead to a 13-7 game. It's coverage, it's returns. The fake punt now will slow down uh, the return game uh, of opponents as well, but Tobe's on fire right now. Yeah, he's on fire, and that fake punt by Tommy Townsend was just awesome. The best. First of all, I love the form. He dips so low into his leg when he's throwing. We've seen two of these throws now. He's completed both of them. And it's so exciting. We knew that he could do that coming out of college. He described himself as a weapon coming out of college. Like, I know I'm a punter, but I can be a weapon, you know? And and we've seen that <laughs> from him. And that play, to me, the Chiefs were winning at that point, and you felt pretty good that they were going to win the game, but it was still kind of close. Yep. When the Chiefs faked that punt, it just showed me that <laughs> Coach Reed and the Chiefs are not messing around tonight. They are not leaving here with a loss. Like, they are winning this game 100%. They're going to do everything they can to win this game uh, and to win it comfortably. And uh, that fake punt kind of told me that. You love that mindset and that mentality because we needed that game. And for all three phases to contribute, for the offense to play perfect football for the most part, for the defense to be incredible, and for special teams to contribute as well, kind of picked up Mike Hughes from earlier in the game, too, where he had the fumble. A nice return for Mike Hughes. It was too bad he fumbled it. But, uh, yeah, special teams overall. Again, a punch out after a 40-yard game. Yeah. Same, goes back to what It's the same saying. thing. It's the same thing. And, uh, you know, you like what you see from Mike Hughes there until the fumble. It looked good on the return. But uh, special teams overall looking very good uh, and very exciting, uh, once again, to have all three phases clicking at the same time. That Raiders, um, that fake punt, and with the Raiders' sideline, it was like when you're taking the bouncy house down after your kid's birthday in the backyard. You could just see that whole sideline just go, Yeah. They were just losing air, like, oh, you've got to be kidding. They still have the ball, and now they're going to go score, and now we're yeah. really cooked. All well, right. You finally get them off the field, right? And yeah, then you, then you and don't. Then it's just devastating psychologically <laughs> to any football at any level. It's like the block punt. Those are just psychologically devastating. All right, let's talk about now, speaking of punching the ball out and taking care of the ball, the Chiefs are doing that on offense. We've seen it now two weeks in a row where the Chiefs have not had an offensive turnover, but this is a Dallas team that thrives off taking the ball away. Trayvon Diggs is uh, exhibit A here. Eight interceptions. The all-time Cowboy record's 11. He's setting here going into week 11 already with eight. Now, he also has the most targets in the league. People are not afraid to throw at him but he's like Marcus Peters. He used to play for the Chiefs and later with other teams in the Ravens. You, if you're going to throw there, you throw with some risk. But he's not the only guy. Anthony Brown's got three picks. Jordan Lewis has two picks. Uh, Damonte Kazee has uh, a pick. This is a team in a secondary that are ball hawks. They're ball hawks. And you mentioned that Marcus Peters comp about Diggs a few days ago. So I started looking into it, and it's so spot on. Like, he, he is Marcus Peters. Uh, eight interceptions this year. He's a ball hawk. But, yeah, he's been targeted a bunch. And when he does give up receptions, he's giving up the second most receiving yards per reception uh, of any corner in the NFL fell with 300 or more snaps it's like 18 yards per catch so you can have big plays against this guy but also he can take the ball away and create big plays himself I believe he has two pick sixes this year so it, it's tough I mean he's he's the kind of guy that will take advantage of mistakes and will take risks um, but if you're Patrick Mahomes you got to make sure that you gauge those properly you don't uh, put the ball in places where it shouldn't be against this guy but you can beat him but when he gets you he makes you pay for it 
Micah Parsons has 58 tackles. That is still like 20 tackles behind Bolton, 18, I think, to be exact. But Micah Parsons is a player. Yeah. You and I spent a lot of time together during the draft and bringing you shows um, and uh, bringing our listeners and viewers shows. But when Micah Parsons came up, I'm like, do not let him go to the AFC. Do not <laughs> let him go to the AFC West because in watching him out of Penn State, this is a beast. He can rush. He can cover. Micah Parsons is a star. We had a lot of fun breaking down the draft, and we had so we took over a conference room basically, just Mitch and I, and we had this giant whiteboard, and we're just writing down all our fun. names. It was so much fun. It was like <laughs> those kind of things where we were working like seventeen-hour days, and I just couldn't wait to get back. You know, like we have to go home and sleep for a few days. It was so much fun, and we're seeing the Chiefs draft classes looking really good, aren't they? But we were worried about Micah Parsons falling to the Broncos. Mm. We're like, please do not go to Denver because he would fit perfectly there, and I really don't want to play against this guy twice a year because he is a stud. We talk a lot about like new age linebackers, linebackers that can uh, rush the passer, play the run, uh, and also uh, be out in coverage and play it well. We're seeing that kind of in Willie Gay Jr. Uh, Nick Bolton's trying to grow into that player as well. But Micah Parsons is that dude, and we're so glad he didn't go to the Broncos, but we're seeing what we thought he could be in Dallas. He has six sacks this year. I mean, he's been all over the place, a really, really good player. Uh, he'll come off as a defensive end sometimes. He'll be a linebacker at times. He'll drop into coverage. He'll do it all. Got to know where Micah Parsons is as at, all, at all times. And they're missing you know, some of their major pass rushers. Guys like Demarcus Lawrence, Randy Gregory uh, have been injured this year, so he's kind of made up for that. Um, they released Jalen Smith earlier this year partly because Micah Parsons was playing so well. So uh, Micah Parsons is a player. Yeah, and they're missing Randy Gregory on IR. You Cornhusker fans know how good he was in Lincoln, but he's been even better, honestly, in Dallas. So, But this is still a group up front that can get it done. And Leighton Vanderesh, one of my favorite players, you know this, yeah. because he's an eight-man football player. Uh, he's from Riggins, Idaho. I don't think that's named after John Riggins. Uh, but still, he walked on at Boise State, and he's become a big-time NFL player, and he played eight-man high school football. I love it. You got, you're like after those guys. Like oh, yeah. Those guys are after your own heart, right? Like that's so. I went to Smith Center with you um, this past April and checked out where you grew up, and I could see why you love that kind of thing. Because that's just like that's like Friday Night Lights, I and mean, it's like Odessa, Texas. It's West Texas, yeah. and West Texas in those small <laughs> towns, and you know a place like Smith Center's had 15 Division One players, and here's Leighton Vanderish. You can find him there. Uh, it's like the Brown kid that grew up in Lenox, Iowa, starting not Lenox, Iowa, yeah, Lenox, Iowa, Spencer start, Brown, yeah. Spencer Brown, who's starting for the Buffalo Bills. If you're good enough, they'll find you, and Leighton Van Der Esch is that as well. Well, if it's good enough, they'll, they'll find this game. But, again, a double meaning here to this game, one, from a historical standpoint, and two, because both of these teams feel like they can get to the promised land, the Chiefs being uh, rallying here in Dallas, which has really waited a generation maybe for this team. Yeah, and how about a bit of a longer wait because the Chiefs are still here, the Chiefs are heating up at the perfect time, and what a great uh, opportunity here to take what they did in the Raiders game and say, hey, the Chiefs are here to stay and we're not going anywhere. So, you know this, Chiefs Kingdom, there are lots of trophies. The Lombardi Trophy, you've got a fresh one. The Lamar Hunt Trophy, you're getting used to winning that now after never winning it. And you Cowboys, you've been there, but it's been 25 years. But there's always the coveted Preston Road Trophy to win. Touchdown! Lock it down! And the celebration begins at Arrowhead. 